The United States Justice Department this week announced a settlement deal of over $1 billion with Swiss Anglo mining company Glencore after the company agreed to plead guilty in two separate criminal cases. According to the U.S. Attorney General, the cases represent the largest criminal enforcement action to date for a commodity price manipulation conspiracy in oil markets. Authorities in the United States, Britain and Brazil announced that three of Glencore's subsidiaries were pleading guilty to a range of crimes, including market manipulation and bribery related to its conduct in developing countries. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The Justice Department says Glencore admitted to engaging for over a decade in a scheme to bribe foreign officials in seven different countries across Africa and South America, while a U.S. subsidiary of the company entered a guilty plea in connection with a multi-year scheme to manipulate benchmarks used to set prices for oil at two of the country's busiest ports, motivated by corporate greed. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Glencore made hundreds of millions of dollars in profits from these crimes, including $272 million from the foreign bribery scheme and $144 million from the commodity price manipulation scheme. And these crimes exacted great costs across the globe, perpetuating transnational corruption and manipulating oil prices in two of the largest fuel markets in America. As a result, Glencore has agreed to pay a total of approximately $1.1 billion in criminal fines and forfeiture, including forfeiture of all of Glencore's estimated profits. The company has also agreed to retain independent compliance monitors, both in the United States and overseas. The Justice Department says the settlement of up to $1.5 billion is more than twice the estimated profits from Glencore's crimes, while the company has committed to cleaning up its corporate culture that enabled widespread criminality. Listen to the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams. For more than a decade, Glencore cheated the free market to gain a competitive edge. Glencore paid over $100 million in bribes to government officials in Brazil, Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Venezuela. The bribery scheme here spanned the globe. Glencore paid bribes to secure oil contracts. Glencore paid bribes to avoid government audits. Glencore paid bribes to judges to make lawsuits disappear. Why did Glencore do it? They did it to make money, hundreds of millions of dollars, And they did it with the approval and even the encouragement of top executives. And as we allege in the charges filed today, Glencore tried to cover up the bribery scheme with code words and bribes paid through third-party consultants. It didn't work. The British Serious Fraud Office indicated that company agents and employees paid bribes worth over $25 million for preferential access to oil in Cameroon, Equatorial Guinea, Ivory Coast, Nigeria and South Sudan between 2011 and 2016. Associate Deputy Director of the FBI, Brian Turner. Foreign bribery has the ability to impact U.S. financial markets, economic growth and national security. It also breaks down the international free market system by promoting anti-competitive behavior and ultimately makes consumers pay more. What's even worse is that Glencore's bribery payments were primarily in developing nations whose citizens were the ultimate victims of the bribery. When those officials accept bribes in their official capability for personal gain, 
they are betraying the trust of the people that they represent, which ultimately breaks down the global order. Unrelated to the settlement, former ESCOM CEO Brian Molefe accused Glencore of seeking to extort around 8 billion rand from the struggling utility through exorbitant coal price hikes at its then-owned Optimum coal mine, a charge a former CEO of the company Clinton Efron later rejected during testimony at the State Capture Commission. Glencore eventually sold Optimum to a company owned by the Gupta family after new terms for coal provision could not be reached with ESCOM. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. Right, here at home, five former executives linked to Transnet, including former CEO Siabonga Gama, were arrested on Friday. The executives were charged with the contravention of the Public Finance Management Act, fraud, corruption and money laundering. They appeared in the Palm Ridge Magistrates Court and were granted bail. They'll be back in court in July. Now, the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture recommended in the second volume of its report the prosecution of the five former executives after various adverse findings. Let's discuss this now and we put the question to you whether you feel the wheels of justice are now starting to turn in relation to those guilty or uh, alleged to have been guilty of uh, aiding and being part of state capture. Uh, We bring on to the line uh, Dr. Dale McKinley, an independent researcher and writer and the leader of the United Democratic Movement uh, of the UDM, General Bantu Olamisa. General Olamisa, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to our listeners as well. Good to have you on. Right, uh, Mr. Olomisa, let, let's firstly just deal before the break. You you would have heard uh, and listened to that finding against Glencore and uh, what the U.S. Attorney General did there and the uh, fine of a billion dollars. That is massive. W- what are your thoughts on that, firstly? Well, I, I've, I've, I've briefly listened to it towards the end, but uh, the bottom line is that at least the government of that uh, of US uh, have managed to track down the 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 the, the, unbeha- the behavior of uh, which is unaccepted of of Genko. Hmm. and then, unfortunately there if you listen to them they are even saying uh, South Africa as well is Genko has also done some damage according to Pharmacy or transnet. Mm, mm. So the people now, as far as South Africa is concerned, will want to know more as to whether those who have uh, been involved uh, in South Africa through Glencoe's bribery will, will go to court. Mm. But the advantage of that of, of, of US is that it looks like they have. Uh, they are represented or they have got cooperation from a number of other countries. And I think South Africa should exploit that relationship which we had with the U.S. through our bilateral agreement, agreement and, and, and ask their law enforcement agencies to help them to track down the main planners of this corruption. Sure. Because as long as the, the, the Gupta brothers are not here, I don't see these cases will, we will ever be uh, finished soon. I got you. Let, let's try Dr. Dale McKinley. Dale, good morning. You're with us now. 
Yes, good morning. Ida. Much better, much good to have you on. Dale, Thank you. let's just have a look at the arrests uh, on Friday and the appearances on Friday. One of the men in the dock is uh, the CEO of the now defunct Trillion Capital, Eric Wood. Uh, the company had tentacles in Transnet, it had tentacles in Eskom, it had tentacles in uh, Gup- the Gupta purchase of Optimum Coal Mine. Just explain to our listeners how Trillion was positioned according to uh, the report to facilitate wrongdoing in state capture. Well, uh, it's, it's quite clear that a Trillion was set up specifically as a vehicle for uh, malfeasance. In other words, just to make, as, as the previous report in, in, in relation to Glencore, to make illegal profits and and to fleece the public. Uh, it was a boutique uh, financial services agency uh, that followed uh, it, you know, the regiment uh, previously that Woods had been uh, part of. So when regiment had sort of served its purpose and, and Woods moved on and he wanted a new vehicle, which obviously wouldn't be subject to any kind of oversight or potential, uh, you know, uh, being caught uh, in, in the wrongdoing, they set up Trillion, and Trillion was essentially then used in all of these particular deals to facilitate this money laundering, this fraud. And uh, it's almost like it was a special purpose vehicle uh, that, that, was, that, uh, that was a Gupta uh, sort of, you know, go-to uh, in this case. And, and what we've seen, I think, around the world, I mean, in what the Glencore case uh, rises, raises, is that this has become, uh, this is not specific, you know, just to the Gupta enterprise and what happened in our case. Yeah. Uh, but this is clearly a practice, a modus operandi. And Trillian, uh, you know, much like a lot of the auditors and other kinds of financial services, oftentimes are captured themselves or set up specifically to uh, precisely to do this kind of, of, uh, of fraud and money laundering and corruption. Why, and, and just explain once again to our listeners, why is the former CEO, Siabonga Gama, also facing charges? Well, he was, he was, you know, he, the buck stopped with him at the, at the, when he was there. And it's from all the things that were presented in the, in the commission, in the Zonda commission, uh, what it appears as though is that Siobhan Adama has facilitated uh, these things. And he was given, there's the allegation that he was given uh, particularly backhanded cash payouts, uh, in one case, one million rand in a suitcase uh, that was given to him in order to, to, to make this, you know, facilitate these things. So... He basically, uh, in, in many cases, the CEO always often has deniability because it's the underlings that do the job. And in Sia Bonga's case, clearly he made the cardinal mistake of leaving his footprint uh, in, the, in the context of facilitating these deals. And that's why he's in front of the dock, and rightfully so. General Holomisa, I, I want to now ask you the question that we were asking our listeners this morning. Firstly, why do you think the NPA has gone specifically with this case as the first high-profile bust? And and are you, as a politician, confident that the wheels are now starting to turn? I hope they are starting to turn. But uh, what frustrates me in the case of NPA is that people tend to be taken to court and you have these catchy headlines, uh, which end up like it's just a PR by themselves on behalf of the government that they are doing something. And then you never hear the end of these cases. Now we are going to be going to July. Mm. And then from July, I can assure you, it will be kicked down the road, say, maybe November, December next year. Whereas if the State or Department of Justice was serious about this and NTA, 
they should uh, at least establish special courts uh, for for these commissions of inquiry, so that the people can begin to say yes. Uh, the the wheels of justice are turning. There will be no more delays, and also it would be to the advantage of the alleged perpetrators mm. and, their, and their families to actually get their own chance to, to say, yes, I know about these charges, I received money, I didn't receive this money, and let the judges have the last word on, on these cases. So we should uh, please uh, and, and, and welcome that is it may with all those constraints of just uh, Dale, do you agree with the general around that or, or are you looking at this case and going, well, actually, the details here suggests that the NPA has hit the right case to, to prove uh, in a court of law how people were involved in state capture? Listen, I mean, it's, it's a little bit too early for us to tell what the, the, the details of, of the prosecution's case is, but what is clear is that uh, there is plenty of evidence. Uh, and I think, you know, it's not simply, and, and this is the problem that we have, uh, we can see with ex-President Zuma's case, is that once you even get a case into the legal system, and even if he might have a, quite a strong case, the way in which our legal system is set up in terms of appeal uh, can, can see these cases, as you say, drag out for years and years and years and years. So we've got a double challenge. One is, of course, uh, and, and I think this is, in, in this case, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that they've got a fairly strong case and they can pursue this case. But in the court system itself, the prosecutorial authorities have no control. Mm. And it depends on, 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 on and that, that process, I think, uh, requires some legal review. I think we have to relook at the appeal process in this case, because what we have is we have a system that's set up, I put not with bad intentions necessarily, but it's set up with those who have capital, those who have endless amounts of, of, of money and who have power, can basically string something out for years and years and years. Whereas, for example, if you're a worker, if you're somebody who's been committed of crime and fraud on a normal case, your case is going to go to court, you're going to hear it, it's going to be convicted. And that has to change. Mm. And I think that's the double uh, challenge that we have in South Africa. People have been looking at the prosecutorial authorities and saying they have a weak case or a strong case. Fair enough. But let's look at the court system and our appeal system, and we need to tighten that up so that we have justice which is delivered in time and people can feel confident in the justice system that is delivering what it promises to deliver. All right. I'm going to come back to our guests in just a bit, but let's bring our listeners into the conversation as well. This is what you guys have had to say on uh, our voice note line. Hi, Udo. It's really here in Kumastelfontein. Yeah, Udo, there's a ray of hope now that uh, uh, those uh, uh, crooked, Transnet uh, uh, guys have been arrested because it's been a perpetual cry that uh, arresting, 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 arresting should take place. And then secondly, uh, Raymond Zondo's commission as well as National Prosecuting Authority as well uh, must pick up their socks uh, so that the process of of prosecuting and, and arresting should continue. Thank you very much. 
Udo, with the SIU reporting to the Minister of Justice, who reports to the President, and the uh, police and the Hawks report to the Minister of Police, who reports to the President, there's no independent investigative arm in our country. Everybody ultimately is managed by the ANC. So if we think the ANC is going to allow itself to be managed out of power via locking up its own people, that is definitely not going to happen. Until we get an independent investigative arm, unfortunately, at best, this is just a managed exercise to make the NPA and the ANC look good or the police look good, but nobody's really going to go to jail of any uh, worth, and no, we're not going to see justice. Mike Newlands. 6.53, General Olamisa, let me come to you with Mike Newlands' uh, thoughts there, that uh, the investigative arm is not really independent. Are we now living in a country where, where there is absolute political will to hold accountable those responsible for state capture or not? Well, I don't think uh, there has been any political will. Remember, in the case of the Guptas, even long before uh, 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 a Sondo Commission was established, they were the media was bombarding us about their illicit ways of doing things. And when the final decision was taken, uh, through the pressure of opposition parties and civil society, and march against corruption, calling for Zuma to go, then they only then acted to establish this commission. In the meantime, they were helping the Gupta families to leave the country after they have given them passports anyway. So, therefore, the question is, who... who who were the architects of siphoning these billions from the state coffers? We've heard uh, Judge Zondo saying the ruling party itself uh, was a beneficiary of these illicit funds or the state money. It's telling you now that the public out there is aware, if you listen to these last two, mm. that... There is no independent judicial because it's manipulated by the powers that be. Even the ANC members themselves, they are fighting about that to say, why are you charging me and not leaving and leave so-and-so behind? Because they know that uh, this was an institutionalized corruption system. That's the bottom line. I, I, I just want to add to that as well. We keep looking at the NPA to do, the NPA to do. But, but Parliament, has it not failed in its oversight role in the sense that there would have been MPs, active MPs who've been implicated in uh, parts of the report? Yet, other than having to go and appear before a committee, when Parliament is in session, they are still there, are they not? Yeah, that's true. Because the, the ruling party should have long suspended those who are integrated not to be part of uh, of of of, uh, of parliament. Uh, but remember, you have a presidency in this country, which we questioned when President Zuma was appointed mm. as a president. He was already facing charges. It tell told it, it, it tells you that these guys have never been serious. So that precedence, everybody is saying, no, until I'm proven guilty, 
Yet in other countries, they would have said, all right, the balance of probabilities is sufficient enough for you to leave at your office in the interest of the public and in the interest of the image of my organization. So they have not done that. Mm. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting phase as to what are they going to do with those MPs now. Already you hear that uh, they are uh, the small committee there is trying to exonerate. If, for instance, people like Mukise, who is being investigated that side, instead of waiting for that process to be uh, finalized. Then the ANC-dominated committees in Parliament, uh, they are doing their own things. Then you also have their ethics committees or what, what, uh, in New Tule House, creating confusion among the, the citizens. Let's leave this to the courts, and they must do the work. Dale? As we wrap up, your final word to you. Is your expectation that of the five arrests made last week, I think eight in total, that, that we are now going to start seeing people fold on one another and act against one another? Well, uh, I think that's the hope, certainly, of the prosecutorial authorities is as the pressure builds, as it becomes clear that there could be a price to pay, uh, you, you get people to, to uh, sort of, you know, as you say, fold or to tell the stories on each other. I mean, I, I don't think we can guarantee that. It, it all depends on, you know, uh, the degree to which uh, the prosecutorial authority is able to, to present the evidence to the accused and say, listen, you know, it's fairly watertight. If you cut a deal with us, we can, you know, I mean, this is sort of standard practice within cases is to cut deals in order to go for the bigger fish. So that's a possibility. But I think in the longer term, I think all of us, are, are looking towards whether or not this is the, the start of something that is much more sustainable in terms of prosecution. This is just the beginning of the trickle. Hmm. Uh, if one looks at the entirety of the Zondo report and all of the things that uh, the general has mentioned going all the way back many years, there's a whole line of people that are lined up. Um, and we're just starting here. I mean, this might be one of the stronger cases they brought first, but let's hope. And I think this is, this is where it, it's going to uh, fall in terms of, uh, you know, stand or fall in terms of the public perception anyway of the NP and whether or not we cross some kind of boundary in terms of our ability to, to pursue the wrongdoers is with all the lack of political will, with all the cover-ups, with all the things that have been already mentioned, all true, uh, can we have a situation where at least we can get some degree of justice where some people are going to pay these things so that when it gets to the next round, uh, that, that, that we don't have a situation sure. where our entire state gets captured before we go and prosecute people after the fact, but, but before and we can prevent these kinds of things. That is the question of whether or not we have sustainable institutions, independent institutions, and I think the, the ball is up in the air. It's a 50-50 call at the moment, and that's why this case is so important. Dr. Dale McKinley, independent researcher and writer, thank you very much, and leader of the UDM, General Bantu Olamisa, thank you very much for your time as well.